Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. To our new listeners, welcome. To our old listeners, welcome back. Another episode of Magical Education awaits you, but first, we would like to say a few words. Nitwit, blubber, oddment, tweak. Podcast Land of Three Quarters topic of the week is Christmas special. Are Harry and Ron the worst Yule Ball dates ever? Hello, listeners. I'm Rhea. And I'm Jem, and this week we're trying to figure out if Harry and Ron are the worst Yule Ball dates ever. Spoiler, they are. <laughs> <laughs> Not a debate, because we're both in agreement. <laughs> uh, so I thought we should, uh, while discussing this hypothetical about Harry and Ron and how terrible dates they are, we should also try and explain a little bit what the Yule Ball is and how it came about, because I have some theories about its origins and things like that. Okay. Yeah, I think we're mostly going to be focusing on the Yule Ball. <laughs> um, although I think it sh- it, we should discuss, like, how we would have taken out Pavardi and Padma better. <laughs> oh, yeah. I want to take out Padma. I think uh, she's more uh, more my type. Pavardi's too much into divination for me, and I'm like, uh, no. I think they're both the same. <laughs> <laughs> but not! <laughs> Just because they're twins doesn't mean they're the same. No, I mean, like, well, we barely know anything about Padma. And we don't really know much yeah. about Pavati either, other than that she's like La- Lavender's friend and into divination. And maybe she's the one who had the crush on Ferenz. She was. Okay, cool. Well, then we have that in common. I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take Pavati out. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, you're both horse girls. You get along. <laughs> I hate that you call me a horse girl. That's so cruel. <laughs> so, the Yule Ball. <laughs> there hasn't been one for centuries and when this occurred in 1994 there hasn't there hadn't been a yule ball for centuries mm-hmm. um but they were a dance always held at christmas during the triwizard tournament mm-hmm. all right so i did a bit of research into what yule was i don't know if you did that uh no i did not but i know off the top of my head oh can you tell me about yule yeah sure yule is what christmas was before christmas happened uh, it's the, the pagan celebration of, oh god, the darkest part of the year or something, because it's the middle of winter. You're thinking of, you're thinking of, uh, Halloween. <laughs> Samhain. <laughs> no, because, no, what am, no, it wasn't, ah, isn't Halloween like the end of harvest time? Uh, yeah, because it's going into winter, so they take it, it's the celebration of the darker half of the year. Oh, okay. Well, then I am thinking of Halloween. Isn't, um, Yule is when, like, you would bring part of a tree inside to, like, keep the plants alive throughout the year? I Okay, never mind. I don't know what Yule is. Jim, why don't you tell us about Yule? <laughs> okay. I actually, I couldn't find any, any connection. I only did a, a bit of research, took me, like, an hour or two. But I couldn't find any sort of connection between Yule and trees, or bringing trees inside. I don't think that was a Yule thing. I think that was an ancient Egypt thing. Or maybe I just got that from an episode of Friends. I don't know. But uh <laughs> the Yule log? I thought the Yule log was a thing. I've never heard of the Yule log. Okay. I'm going to do a quick um, bit of sneaky research now in episode. Okay, yeah. Because what I learned about Yule is that it was a traditional winter festival celebrated celebrating the winter solstice. So Northern European tradition. It's called Yule Tide. It's celebrated by Germanic peoples, so uh, English-speaking peoples generally in, like, England and Scotland, Ireland, some Germanic countries like that. Um, and it's to the god Odin. This is Yeah, like you said, it was before Christianity came along and said, we can't have this and made it their own <laughs> celebration. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, basically, it involved a sacrifices at the heathen temple. So it would involve ale and livestock. 
that would be brought to the temple. Blood was to be taken from the animal sacrifices and sprinkled onto the animals, the floor, and the inner and outer walls of the temple, as well as the people yeah. residing in the temple. Yeah, lots of blood. Uh, the meat was then boiled, eaten, the ale was drunk, and toasts were made to Odin and to good tidings. Mm-hmm. So that was what happened at Yule. Um, basically just another big uh, celebration where you eat, drink, and share merriment with each other with a sprinkling of blood over the top. Um, Excellent. Nice. <laughs> it's exactly yeah. how I like Maybe my merriment to be. I like. I try to draw connections between how we celebrate uh, Christmas now and how Yule was celebrated back then, and I th- was thinking the god Odin is like basically a big white-bearded guy, right? So you can mm-hmm. see the sort of connections that Santa Claus. And the whole uh, sprinkling blood of over everything made me think of like uh, every- how everything's red at Christmas. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> You know, red stockings, uh, red jumpers that you give to each other and all that sort of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And just, you know, sharing food and drink. That's pretty standard Christmas dinner, Christmas breakfast sort of thing. So mm-hmm. that's nice. I found out what the Yule log is. Uh-huh. So I was right. It's a specially selected log, like a bit of a tree that people would bring in to their houses during Christmas. They would burn it on the hearth as a Christmas tradition in a number of countries in Europe. It either comes from Germanic paganism or it might have been invented by the early Christmas people, so it might not be related to paganism at all. Oh, okay. All right. Um, But it's supposed to symbolize the battle between good and evil. As the fire grew brighter and burned hotter and as the log turned to ashes, it symbolized Christ's final and ultimate triumph over sin. So, yeah, that's sounding less like a pagan tradition to me and more like an early christmas christian thing yeah that's interesting that it draws on the battle between good and evil because another thing i found about yule was this the pagan thing was that um Mm -hmm. it was also to commemorate the wild hunt so this was apparently a celestial occurrence that happened around the winter solstice or a a Mm -hmm. weather occurrence and if you saw it, it if you saw the wild hunt it's basically seeing a ghostly procession in the winter sky of gods or dead people in the sky hunting for things. Um, mm. And it was meant to be a signal of doom, of uh, kidnapping, or a war to come. Uh, there was said to be increased supernatural activity and, uh, around Yule, and even Draga, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but they're Draga? undead beings. Draga? Yeah, Maybe. they're undead beings who walk the earth. So kind of like revenants mm. or zombies, I guess. Yeah, I know them um, from Skyrim. Oh, Draugr, <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> I know the Wild Hunt is a fairy thing. Yeah, it's, so, it like, was connected to the Fae as well. Yeah, that's why yeah. it's associated with kidnapping, because if you see yeah. the Wild Hunt or get caught in the Wild Hunt, that's it, you're part of the Fae world now. Yeah. So I also found this interesting, which relates more to our topic today about the Yule Ball. Another mm-hmm. uh, celebration around this time was called... Um, Excuse my pronunciation again. Moldronit or Moldronikt, uh, which mm-hmm. translates to Night of the Mothers. So it was said to be uh, mm. like a bit of a celebration of women and fertility and things like that. So it made me think about the Yule Ball and my sort of theories around what the Yule Ball signifies in the whole Triwizard Tournament okay. event. All right. Do you want to explain more about what your theories are? Okay, well, I have a bit of a theory that, so the Triwizard Tournament started around the 13th century, and it was discontinued in, like, 1792, and uh, okay. I've, it, it went for, like, centuries and centuries, and I have a theory that um, the Yule Ball might have been, like, an old-timey debutante or matchmaking event for young wizards Ooh. and witches. So I think that the Triwizard Tournament was like, um, obviously, it's an opportunity for glory and honor and to get a bit of friendly competition between the three schools. But I also mm-hmm. think it was a bit of a way for, um, like Dumbledore said, uh, you know, when wizards from different countries get together, they like to show off. And I think that's also true of long lineages of pure blood families. They'd like to show off their magical prowess. So having your son or daughter be a champion in the tournament would be a huge opportunity to show off your son or daughter's magical prowess and their bravery and skill and adeptness Mm -hmm. of magic. And so then it's also a bit like sending them to the Yule Ball is like, well, here's my eligible son or daughter. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And, you know, they're going to be mingling with pure blood witches and wizards from uh, France and from 
Bulgaria as well. So those are strong matchmaking uh, opportunities. You can really create some new lineages there. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and that's so important to pure bloods as well because it is, they're yeah. all about keeping their bloodlines pure. You've got to mingle with the other pure bloods from other countries, otherwise you're all going to end up inbred. Yeah. I mean, not like inbred incest stuff doesn't already happen in those family trees, but I imagine that every four years or five years whenever the Tri Wizard tournament comes around, it's like, oh, here's a great opportunity to meet some uh, talented witches and wizards from abroad as well, so bring into the family tree. Yeah. Um, the best of the best. Yeah. Yeah, and so I imagine that, like, I don't know, I've never been to a debutante. They're not as huge of a thing here in Australia, and I don't think mum would ever approve of sending us to one anyway. But uh, <laughs> No, I'm although scared. a friend of mine from high school did have a debutante. Was that Alice? <laughs> Shall we call her Alice? Yes, that was Alice. <laughs> <laughs> she had, yeah, her parents are very traditional, and she had, like, a proper debutante ball that she went to. Where she was all wow. dressed in white and had to be escorted by an eligible young man and like the full on thing. <laughs> it was very funny. We mocked her mercilessly. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. Uh yeah, I don't know much about debutante culture, except from what I know from Hollywood. Uh and but I don't know if this is a thing at the ball, but isn't that supposed to be like um a bit of like a mis miscongeniality sort of thing? So like the most eligible bachelorette is like given a special procession because they always get escorted in like they all get escorted in one after the other but mm-hmm. i think like the last to be escorted in is supposed to be like the most eligible woman of the thing um, and maybe it's like the same for the, the guys as well like the most eligible guy depending on i don't know dancing ability or something something feminine like <laughs> oh she's ability. the best harpist <laughs> of them all the best i don't know <laughs> seamstress or something <laughs> i truly don't know my understanding was that, like, back in the day when everyone was really rich and stuff, you would yeah. throw a debutante ball for your daughter when she became eligible. But so like here, 11. in the modern day, <laughs> yeah, whatever. In the modern day, for people who are still holding this tradition, you just sort of throw, like, one big debutante for all of the girls and boys to attend together because nobody has the kind of money to throw a full on ball for their teenage yeah. daughter. Because that's yeah. not something that happens anymore. Yeah. But I might be completely wrong. Like I said, all of my knowledge is coming from making fun of my friend when we were like 13 <laughs> and also <laughs> watching movies. So yeah, that was just, I was thinking about debutantes and like case and years and I thought about the Yule Ball. I think there's a bit of a correlation there. Maybe it's just me going wild with imagination, but I think it might've been maybe a bit of a, a mating ritual sort of thing, <laughs> matchmaking ceremony. <laughs> mating ritual. <laughs> <laughs> matchmaking ceremony is a much nicer way to put that <laughs> yeah i don't know why i said mating ritual that was very <laughs> oh, thinking of the wrong solstice <laughs> that's the spring <laughs> yes it is well that kind of makes sense because especially with the fact that the tournament champions must attend the tribe with a tournament with a date because they have yes. to open the dance yeah. so they at least have to pair up with somebody and because yeah. it's a social event where all three schools are supposed to mix and make friends, it kind of makes sense. Like you're, you would be highly encouraged to find a date from one of the other schools. Yeah, the idea that like the three champions, well, four in the case of 1994, that the champions must mm-hmm. attend with a date gives me the idea that like uh, young witches and wizards would be lining up to be the champions' date. Like oh, I've got to prove myself to be the best date uh, possible for the champions yeah. because they're the best. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. That wasn't so much the case in 94, I think, except for maybe Fleur Delacour. I'd be lining up for her. What a babe. (laughs) (laughs) Who wouldn't? (laughs) Yeah, as as a theory, I think that's great. That makes a lot of sense. What do you think? Did you have any wild theories about the Yule Ball at all? Um, No, not really. It just seems like a really cool party. (laughs) Yeah. In terms of, like, you know, sinister underbelly theories about it. The only... (laughs) like headcanon that I have is that Dumbledore used the ball to find out who each champion cares the most about. Yes. Yeah. So that he could kidnap that person for the second try of his <laughs> task. Like, I think that's just pretty obvious. Yeah, that is. Like, I don't think he orchestrated because the Yule Ball for that purpose. I think he just was like, oh, this would be a good opportunity. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this will save me some time later. I don't have to think about it. 
Yeah. Because everyone has their date kidnapped except for Fleur. Um, and Harry. Including Harry, because, no, Harry went with Pavati or Padma? No, yeah, Harry Pavati. went with Pavati, but he oh. didn't spend any time with Pavati. He spent the entire ball with Ron. That's true. So Dumbledore <laughs> ships Harry and Ron. <laughs> it's confirmed. We've said it before and we'll say it again. Dumbledore ships Harry and Ron. I personally believe, like, shipping, like, uh, Ron and Hermione, it's like, that's cool, but it's pretty average. Shipping, like, Hermione and Harry, it's like, oh, whatever. Shipping Ron and Harry. Now that's true. <laughs> that's true blue. <laughs> Fresh, spicy. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the only, like, controversial opinion I have about the Yule Ball. Everything else is just like, oh, this is a nice party that they have. Yeah, I remember that line in the book where it's like most of the people who attended the Yule Ball wish the night would never end except for Harry and Ron because they're such miserable bastards and ruin the night for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> However, I personally wish that I could have gone to the Yule Ball. Like, the way it was described in the books was it sounded fantastic, except you're kind of reading it from the perspective of Harry, so it was kind of dismal. But the way it looks in the movies, <laughs> oh, the set was so amazing. Everyone looked amazing. Just, I would have loved to have been there. Okay, let's talk about the decorations a bit so outside what am i kind of say the castle <laughs> outside the great <laughs> in the, the entrance floor. yeah <laughs> yeah outside in the grounds i'm like what what's that called the garden <laughs> what's it called when the floor is outside <laughs> <laughs> so outside in the hogwarts grounds there's a bunch of statues of santa and his reindeer which yes. is a bit strange because Aren't they like a muggle invention? I guess not. I guess wizards I also have Santa. <laughs> I don't know how, like, I mean. Maybe Santa is real and he's a wizard. Because it would make sense. Because, like, I, it would make sense, I think, for wizards to kind of have a bit of a Santa thing going on. Because remember in the fifth movie, too, you see the Santa flying around in the movie um, around, like, the dinner yeah. table. I think it would make sense mm. for, like, Either it's if it was a myth that started with wizards or with muggles or transferred back between the worlds because, like, Santa's abilities seem kind of like what wizards can do, you know? Like, he makes a bunch of presents with a bunch of elves. He uh, travels around the world in one night and delivers presents down the chimney. It seems ludicrous, but for all that we understand about Harry Potter magic, it could pos- it's possible. <laughs> so Santa's elves are house elves and Santa uses the yeah. flu network to deliver all the presents. Yes. Oh my god, Gem, did you just crack this? Did you just I think crack so. the mystery of Santa? Like, I think <laughs> maybe wizards, like, the wizard parents will sit down their children and tell a story of, like, okay, yeah, you can expect Santa to come down your chimney this uh, Christmas, and he'll deliver you a bunch of gifts. And they're like, oh, who's Santa? And they'll be like, he's a wizard that lives up north, and he, like, cares about all the children in the world and all that sort of myth. But it's just, they're just saying he's a wizard. Maybe he's a literal wizard who is alive, though. Yeah, exactly. Maybe he's an actual person. <laughs> and then it would make sense why he's so oh. old. I guess he's like uh, Dread Pirate Roberts, though. Like, once he does die, he just hands on the legacy to the next Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Or he's like Nicholas Flamel, and he's got a philosopher's stone. <laughs> I don't think so. I think Nicholas Flamel's a bit of a one-hit <laughs> wonder. It's just the one guy and his wife, Pernell. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I was not expecting this episode to go in that direction. Okay. Yeah, so there's... <laughs> Statues of Santa and his reindeer, and rose bushes that are filled with fairies. Nice. Which, oh, God, that sounds lovely. Mm. And I really love the way that the Great Hall is decorated in the movie, where everything's silver and covered in ice. It just looks mm. so beautiful. It's fantastic. It's one of the most beautiful scenes in the entire series. And I think it's particularly effective on us, because we're both Australians, we've never actually had a white Christmas. Ever. <laughs> so the aesthetic of all that ice and snow and, like, it's an actual fantasy for us. It is. Like, I, I just, I love to, all the um, dress robes, I know that, like, obviously in the books they're wearing, most of the time they're wearing actual robes, but I think that they made a good choice in the movie by dressing them up in, like, formal outfits, basically. There was, like, the, the Bulgarians were still wearing all the same robes, like, like as a uniform, basically, which was accurate to the books. But, like, everyone else was just sort of wearing really nice robes. Then again, like, you didn't see – not robes, really nice clothing. You didn't see people in just, like – like, they were all wearing long, flowy things, I noticed. Like, there was no one there in, like, shorter things. Like, you'd see an Australian year 10 formal or something. (laughs) (laughs) 
I didn't actually like that. Mm. Like, I get that the movies are creating a very specific aesthetic, mm. but I didn't like that most of the time in most of the movies, people seem to be wearing pretty much muggle clothes. Yeah. Like, there's the school uniform, which is a bit roby. Yeah. But aside from that, people don't really wear robes. They just wear muggle clothes, especially in the new movies. In the Fantastic Beast series, nobody wears robes. They're all just wearing suits and dresses. Yeah. Yeah, I can agree with you there. Like, it, it does throw me when I'm reading the books again, and I remember that they're always wearing wizard hats. <laughs> like, there was something will happen. Yeah. I know. In my head, I, ne- I picture them wearing robes and stuff like that, but I never see them wearing wizard hats <laughs> until, like, Harry, like, picks up on the head to put out a fire. I'm like, shit, she's wearing a hat. <laughs> I'll just delete that. That's a good point. <laughs> Everyone's wearing hats all the time. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) but yeah like i just i just loved that um personally i think it's a bit of a vain thing but i did love that you know all the women look so beautiful (laughs) cho chang's dress was amazing and so was fleur's and so was hermione's although it could have been blue but the pink's still fine with me they did all look beautiful but there's definitely like in the first movie everyone is wearing robes all the time and then there's a gradual decline of (laughs) I would say wizarding fashion down into just everyone's wearing muggle clothes. Yeah. So you think about um, the compare the dress robes that people are wearing in the fourth movie to the dress robes that they're wearing to Bill and Fleur's wedding. Yeah. That's where you get your short dresses that you're looking for. Yeah. Hermione and Luna and Ginny and everyone's just wearing they're just wearing dresses, it, just like dresses I could get off the rack. It could have been though, but that was because it was summer. So it was hot. Maybe. Yeah. But what about all the boys? They're just wearing suits. Yeah, that's true. Fred and George's suits match. Harry and Ron, they're just wearing suits. Yeah. They're not wearing robes at all. (laughs) Yeah, I see what you mean. I really loved in the book, we don't really get much of a sense of like their style or cut or anything. Like JK doesn't really go into the fashions of the dress robes, Mm. but their colors. Everyone's wearing such brightly colored clothes. Harry's wearing like bright emerald green that matches his eyes. Mm, bottle green. Um, Hermione's in that periwinkle blue gown and Ron's in his lace monstrosity. maroon <laughs> lace mess. Oh, poor Ron. And I don't know the exact line, but I think when Harry comes downstairs into the mm. entrance hall, he like looks out over the students and usually it's just all a sea of black, but today they're all mixed up in all different bright colours. Yeah, which is nice. And yeah, it's just such a great image. I really love that. Yeah. I loved how they kept for the movie, uh, I think in the book it says Pavati was wearing nice pink robes and they kept in the movie, they gave them saris, which I was like, yes! <laughs> yes, that's so good. Yes. They gave them pink saris with like yellow sashes, which was really beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Those girls look so beautiful in that movie. Yeah. All the girls do. But I really like their outfits in particular. Yeah, it was beautiful. Okay, so most of the drama at the Yule Ball is around, you know, everyone trying to get their date and all of that 14-year-old flirting nightmare. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The only other real detail of the Yule Ball that stuck out to me was the food. Yeah. Yeah. Usually the Hogwarts feasts work where... The house elves prepare all the food, lay it out in the kitchen, and then use their elf magic to send it upstairs. But yeah. what's different about the Yule Ball is instead of the big long feast tables, everyone's at their own little individual, not individual tables, everyone's at their own tables in small groups. And uh, there's a set menu and everyone orders the food that they want by telling their plate what they want and then it just appears. And at the time, mm-hmm. Harry thinks that this must be a lot of extra work for the house elves. That's always just, I've always been really interested in it. What do you think happened there? How do you think the house elves made it work? Yeah, it's interesting. I think that, so one of the meals is like pork chops, right? Because Dumbledore orders that meal. I think so. Uh, so I think what the house elves did is they had a set menu of maybe like 12 things. And what the house elves did was they made each of the dishes and laid them out on, uh, like, they had, like, the exact replica of how the tables were arranged. And mm-hmm. um, so they had the dishes ready, basically. And then when someone ordered a certain meal, the house cells would be made aware of it, either through, like, a light or something downstairs or a bell. And the house cells would basically put that meal on that spot on the table and it would teleport back up to where it was needed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, maybe it would be extra work because it's not like they – they make four big long feasts for each table. Um, 
which I guess is a lot of work. Maybe it's not as much, but they have to be constantly cooking, I'm supposing. If it's like, oh, we've got like, I guess, no, they, they would have all made it earlier. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say like they would have all made it uh, ready to go for dinner time and then just everyone orders and it's all done. It's not like they have to make four huge feasts. Mm-hmm. And they are making less food because there's less people because only yeah. fourth years and above are allowed to attend unless they invite a date from a younger year. Yeah. Mm, what I wonder is, so say that every single person at the meal orders pork chops, would they have enough pork chops for everyone or do they only have set numbers of each meal? Basically what I'm wondering is, how does a restaurant work <laughs> when they only have prepared meals? Because I guess that ourselves could just do it the same as muggle restaurants that have set menus. <laughs> You'd think so, but it is a magic place. So if I said to my plate, like, oh, pork chops, and then I guess a little voice comes to the plate being like, sorry, where are the pork chops? I would have been like, excuse me, bitch, I'm in a magic school. <laughs> <laughs> I want pork chops. <laughs> no, I would just order something else. But, like, I guess there would be people that would be like that. <laughs> yeah, there are people that do things like that. Yeah. But we respect service workers. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, that is a good question. I guess um, either the plates would say, oh, we're out of that meal, can you order something else? Or that it's because it's a magic school, the elves have a lot of, have a lot of uh, access to pork chops. So let's say everyone at the fucking feast <laughs> wants pork chops. The elves have only got uh, four slaughtered pigs on the table. And they're like, oh, we need another <laughs> five pigs at least to feed everyone at the feast. Elf magic. They go and operate away and get what they need and bring it back and prepare it like very quickly because they're elves. Mm-hmm. I remember like in the scene where the they visit the kitchens, the trio visits the kitchens, and I think fourth year. Basically, they walk through the door and they ask like Ron and Harry and Hermione, like, "What can we get you? What can we get you?" And Ron's like, "Oh, a glass of pumpkin juice wouldn't go like wouldn't, wouldn't go too badly." And they return like seconds late. Like as he's saying it, there's an elf already handing it to him. <laughs> like, <laughs> so they're quick workers. <laughs> We just assume that they're very, very good at their jobs. They and they are. know what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> so I guess maybe they had, like, enough food for everyone if they all order the same meal. Or maybe they're just really good at predicting how much of each meal they're likely to need. Mm. Mm. That's just settling the debate that's been raging in my head since I first read that scene. <laughs> <laughs> how did they do it? They're just good at their jobs. Like, it's not that hard, Rhea. <laughs> <laughs> There's no drinking at the Yule Ball, is there? No, not for underage children. Yeah. I mean, it's Europe. They've been drinking since they were children already. <laughs> Why not just give them some sneaky liquor? Just one <laughs> night. Is that what happens in Europe? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is. I don't know. I'm Australian, so here we just buy our alcohol illegally and drink it. Yeah, from what, like, mum and dad have, have told me and what mum has told me about growing up in England, people start drinking way earlier on than in Australia. Hmm. Well, they do have a lot of butterbeer, which does have some alcohol in it because the house elves get drunk off it. Yeah, and fire whiskey. Hmm. Which they're not allowed to buy. Yeah, which makes me think it's got more alcohol in it than butterbeer. <laughs> Let's say butterbeer is, like, 0.1%. Fire whiskey is, like, I guess, 2%. <laughs> God, you don't know alcohol content very well. I don't. I don't read the labels, I just drink. (laughs) (laughs) Reading? I came here to drink. Um, I'm sure that there were some of the older students who snuck in some sneaky flasks and stuff, but alcohol was not freely available for all of the 14-year-olds to get their hands on. Party papers. Okay, so let's start talking about the dates. Oh... Ron and Harry. Yeah. They were such disasters. Everything from trying to find a date to the ball to actually having their dates. It was just, it was a mess. Start to finish. It was the worst. Like, I've read a lot of, like, I've seen a lot of teenage movies set in the 90s that involve a prom. And Harry and Ron, (laughs) (laughs) their story with the whole Yule Ball thing is one of the worst trajectories of teenage boys going to a prom. (laughs) Like, they just do terribly. But in their defense, it was very funny. <laughs> it was. <laughs> they each go through three, I guess, rounds of asking people out. Harry originally asked Cho Chang, mm-hmm. which is a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> She's already going with someone else. 
But she turns him down very nicely. Yeah. Oh no, first, before even this, Ron and Harry just keep putting it off and putting it off for so long because they're too intimidated to approach girls. <laughs> I know they're teenage boys and talking to teenage girls is a terrifying concept, but come on. Like, yeah. you, you've got to, you've got to, like, you know, push yourself a little bit <laughs> to ask mm. someone out earlier than the week before. Ah, <laughs> oh, such disasters. <laughs> And then they're like, okay, so we'll make a pact. <laughs> By the time we come back to the common room tonight, we'll both have dates. <laughs> so that's when Harry pushes himself to finally ask Cho Chang, but she's been asked out already because of course she has, because you left it to the last minute. Yeah. And she's one of the hottest girls and- in school. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's in Harry's year, right? No, she's a year above. Yes. Yes. You're right. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. So she's older than him as well. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Harry. Punching above his weight. She's an older student, (laughs) a really great athlete, one of the prettiest girls in school. Like, come on, mate. you got to get in quick or all the good ones will be gone. (laughs) (laughs) So insulting. I love Hermione in this scene. She has no patience for them. Hermione is every girl in this scene. (laughs) (laughs) So then Ron is walking down the corridor and he passes by Fleur Delacour, who's using her Vila powers to try and make Roger Davies ask her to the ball. And Ron <laughs> gets influenced by it oh. and blurts out an invitation and asks Fleur Delacour and then gets, like, in the horrified realisation of what he does, when he's done, runs away. Which is the correct move. That's what he should have done. Please. Oh, buddy. <laughs> like, uh... in a list of embarrassing teenage moments, that's... That's high up there. <laughs> uh, asking out your future sister-in-law. <laughs> oh, that's even worse. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if she brings it up at family gatherings to embarrass him. I <laughs> because would. I would. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the few scenes that I think they did it better in the movie than in the book. <laughs> because uh, when <laughs> when Hermione and Ginny bring that like shaking frozen rock Shell into shock. the common room. <laughs> Like, actually, he sort of screamed at her. <laughs> it was very frightening. So, after that whole mess, uh, Ron suggests that he will go with Hermione and Harry can take Ginny. Yeah. But Hermione has already been invited by Victor Crumb and Ginny's already been invited by Neville because they left it to the last possible minute and everyone's already got date. Yeah. Idiots. What I find <laughs> interesting about that is... <laughs> So Ron and Harry both end up married to their second choices for the Yule Ball. Yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting. Well, you know what they say, you you uh, flake out with your first choice, you marry your second choice. <laughs> is that a saying? Is that something people say? I think so. I think it definitely is. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know the old saying, if you flake out with your first choice, you marry your second choice. <laughs> First comes yeah, love, then comes the marriage. <laughs> <laughs> then comes their third choice, which is Padma and Pavati Patel. Which is so strange how they were still available so close to the date. They're two very attractive girls. Yeah. Especially because Lavender had gotten a date, but Pavati hadn't. Yeah. I suppose just because you're friends with someone doesn't mean you're both equally available. It's just strange to me because, as we know, there aren't many kids in Harry's year. you think that you know, they kind of pair up quite quickly. And <laughs> for two twins not to be paired up with someone is quite weird. Like, Yeah. What I was thinking is maybe maybe fourth years weren't supposed to be able to attend the Yule Ball. Maybe it was only supposed to be for the older students, but because Harry got sorted into the tournament. Mm, that was it. That was, they had to make it available for the fourth years. Yeah, they did that. Yeah. Is that correct? That's what happened. But it, was, it wasn't like they only got one month notice. They got the same kind of notice as the other students mm-hmm. that the fourth years were attending. But then why did they have dress robes on their equipment list at the beginning of the year? Yeah. I, they weren't supposed to be attending. I've never, I've never known that. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> just in case they get asked out, I guess. I guess. I guess it's just Hedgy like... Bets. I mean, I guess like the teacher's like, oh, 14, that's when kids start to hit puberty. Let's make sure they have something good to wear. (laughs) (laughs) 
Just a way to force parents to buy their kids nice clothes. I I think the the teachers like to match me. (laughs) Oh, definitely. Yeah. Knowing, so back to my friend Alice, who we shamed earlier, (laughs) is now an actual teacher in real life. And she has confirmed that teachers do ship their students. Yeah, they do. I got really close to one of my teachers in year 12 because she was, I was like the only girl in her class. It was like an advanced English class. And she used to tell me that, uh, yeah, she shipped some of the students together. <laughs> that she wanted, that she was like, oh, I, I kind of want these two to get together. And I was like, oh, that's not going to work. They had a falling out in the past. And she's like, oh, damn, I'll tell that to the rest of the office. <laughs> <laughs> they all sit around in their staff rooms and try to match the students up into nice little couples. It's true. <laughs> so my Dumbledore ships Harry and Ron theory, it works out. It, it checks out. Pro- prove us wrong, listeners. <laughs> Mm. (laughs) so maybe the reason that they struggle to find dates is because the younger students weren't as prepared to be asking each other out that seems to be the evidence that we get from harry and ron Mm. i guess i think i honestly circle back around to what point i was making i honestly think it's just harry and ron or what i think might have happened what i assumed happened for many years was uh dean and seamus asked padma and pravati out so seamus asked padma or whatever it was but then Dean and Seamus at the last second were like, no, nah, let's just go together as stags because <laughs> they're gay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so they sort of pulled out maybe like a few weeks earlier. We're like, oh, nah, we won't do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's interesting, we actually, I actually haven't had a chance to bring this up on the podcast yet, but there are the two mystery Gryffindor girls. Yeah. So because it doesn't, work in any sort of practical sense but the rule is every hogwarts dormitory has five students so in every year there are five girls and five boys (laughs) yeah 40 students in the year in total that doesn't make any sort of sense like you can say it's that way for harry's year just you know for simplicity's sake that's how jk rowling wrote the books and that's the way it worked out Mm. but for every other year it doesn't make sense for that just to be the way it is but whatever that's the rule apparently we all know that if you bring 40 kids together, 10% will be evil, 10% will be hard work, 10% will be brave, and 10% will be nerds. That's the rule. Yes. And they'll be equally divided by gender. Yes. All of those groups. <laughs> also, you did that so wrong. I know. 10%? You meant a quarter. Oh, yeah, shit. <laughs> Anyway, Gemma's terrible math aside. So in Harry's year, Gryffindor girls we have confirmed are Lavender and Pavati and Hermione. So that means there's two mystery Gryffindor girls in Harry's year, in Harry's house, that he never mentions or thinks about. Yeah. <laughs> in seven years. Well, and Hermione also never mentions. Hermione, like, you know, Harry doesn't listen to Hermione all the time. And... I will say I was at high school with people for like uh, five years that were in my class and sometimes I I never mentioned or thought about them ever. So that's (laughs) fine with me. (laughs) But my year at school had 250 students. Harry's has 40 and he lives with 10 of them. Nine. Nine of them and himself. (laughs) Don't we all live with ourselves? (laughs) So I've forgotten what point I was going to make, but there are two mystery girls in Gryffindor that Harry and Ron could have potentially asked out, but they never even crossed their minds in terms of decades. Mm. Yep. (laughs) Um, Maybe, yeah, I have no answer to that. (laughs) (laughs) No, of course not, because there's no information about these girls. Yeah. I like to think there were a couple. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) And that's why nobody asked them to the ball. (laughs) They asked themselves. I just want to talk about Harry and Ron and how they were at the ball. So they were terrible dates. They were. Harry does the one dance that he is forced to do because of tradition. Mm-hmm. Ron doesn't dance with Padma at all. They spend the entire time sitting and staring at Cho and Hermione dancing with Cedric and Crumb, respectively, <laughs> and just being bitter and sad until their dates both get asked out by other people. Yeah. 
and go off and do their own thing. And then they're like, let's go for a walk together in the rose bushes and hear some secret information that's plot relevant. Dumbledore hears uh, Harry say to Ron, let's go for a walk together in the rose bushes. And Dumbledore's like, yes, yes, yes. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know who I'm going to pretend to drown. Dumbledore doesn't nudge his Minerva like, my plan's working, Minerva. <laughs> it's all falling into place. So... <laughs> How would we have been better dates for Padma and Patel? I mean, sorry, Padma and Pavati. First of all, don't wait till the last minute to ask them out. <laughs> no, yeah, I would... Decide who you want to go with, ask them out early. Especially because, you know, girls, usually, for, like, dances and proms and stuff, we need time to repair. We need time to choose out our dress and what kind of hair we want to do and all that sort of stuff. And it's good for the partner to know what kind of corsage they want to get to match the dress or if they want to get like parts of their outfit that matches the dress that the other person's chosen and stuff like that. So it's good to have Mm. that time to prepare. I should do as a disclaimer thing. We keep referencing like proms in America. We don't do proms here. What we do in Australian high schools is we have two formals, (laughs) one at the end of year 10. And at our school, that was a highly informal formal it was an unofficial event that was organized by the students that was so much more fun than the second formal which takes place at the end of year 12 so when you're completely finished Mm -hmm. high school that one was official organized by the school it sucked ass (laughs) terrible but to both of those events i did not take a date because the way that it sort of happened is not everybody pairs up and has dates the people who were already dating prior went as a couple and everybody else just sort of went in a big group with their friends. And usually the people who are dating are also in the big group with their friends as well. It's not really a, like a matchmaking sort of event. It was more just sort of, let's all go and dress. It's not like I I have no, like I felt nowhere near the pressure for an Australian formal as there must be for American formals to find a date and go as a couple. That's not like a huge pressure. It's sort of just like, oh, the only pre- the only pressure is like, what am I going to wear? <laughs> like, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Based on what I've learned from movies, it's very much like everyone's supposed to have a date and be in a yeah. couple and you take photos together and do a dance. That is very much not the case in Australia. It's more just sort of everybody goes together and we're all friends. <laughs> and there's no like prom king or queen or anything. What we have is like, awards for like most likely to go to jail and (laughs) stuff like that most likely (laughs) it's not the only award most likely to never leave this town (laughs) (laughs) most likely to die on wards like that (laughs) yeah most likely to be successful who has the best beard uh who talks the most things like that like a billion different categories yeah all those sort of things just things that we make fun of each other for basically and then we do a big award ceremony and most people get some sort of award that's like here's your defining trait that's what other people think about you it's it's like bullying but official (laughs) yeah bullying but we've formalized (laughs) it literally what awards did you win did you win me uh i got biggest brain in year 10 because I was always the top of the class in every single subject. And uh, in year 11, we weren't allowed to do the awards because it was organized by the school and the school does not sponsor bullying. We got to do ours in year 12. And And also they were very mad. Oh yeah, they hated you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For my formal in year 10, I got... uh... No, I didn't win anything in year 10. Yeah, I know. In year 12, I got most likely to be successful (laughs) and most likely to take over the world. How did you get two awards in one year? I'm so popular. <laughs> uh yeah, so the idea of like I never took a date to formal either. Uh so I would want to be prepped. Yeah. If I was like if I knew I had to show up with a with a partner, I'd be like, alright, let's get in. Let's get in quick. Oh yeah, as soon as you possibly can. You want to lock that shit down months in advance. <laughs> yes. And so then I would probably spend several months choosing like what what am I gonna wear? How am I going to do my nails? How am I going to do my hair? Mm. All that sort of stuff. How about you? Matching outfits. Matching outfits are so good. Or at least outfits that are built around a theme. So like there's a color that we're both going to, you know, accessorize with or something like that. That'd be good. 
Because honestly, the girls look so cute. Padma and Pavati. Their dress robes match. They're in the same colors, but like yeah. opposite. It's very cute. Things like Padma and Pavati are wearing a lot of gold. I would probably lean into that. So I'd have a lot of gold accessories and accents, but I probably wouldn't wear bright pink because it wouldn't suit me. <laughs> but I would still lean into what uh, Padma, my date, was planning. <laughs> I think I'd do the same sort of thing that I did for my year 12 formal, where I wear a suit that's ac- accented with a single color, but that color would be something that matches yeah. one of their dresses. Well, you're going with Pavati, remember? You're not going with both of them. Yeah, stop stealing my date. <laughs> yeah, Pavati, that's right. <laughs> I just keep saying both of them, because I forgot which one I was going God. with. <laughs> Pavati. First thing I should do is memorize my date's name. <laughs> oh, man. So then I go pick up Padma from the Ravenclaw common room. Hopefully I get to see inside, because that'd be sick. Never get to see it in the movies, at least. <laughs> yeah, and basically I... Like, the first thing you do when you see your date is you tell them how great they look. Like, unlike someone in the books (laughs) who didn't say that at all. (laughs) You tell them how nice they look, how good the outfit is, ask them how long it took to do their hair because it was guaranteed hours. I mean, this is like the one night a year where, like, people put in a lot of effort into their appearance. So it's nice to, like, compliment them and let them know they look great. (laughs) And then go to the ball. Pay attention to them during dinner. Harry didn't talk to to Pavati at all during dinner. He was too busy talking to Percy and eavesdropping on Hermione and Crumb oh and God, Dumbledore. Such a gossip. Just mind your business for one second. <laughs> God. For one meal. Can't you just chill? You can't. It's, it's, too, it's impossible. Yeah. Listen and talk to your date is basic etiquette. <laughs> and then dance yes. with them. That's the rule. There's actually a line in the book where <laughs> Harry's like trying to leave the dance floor, but this new song has just started up. So Harry does the original <laughs> waltz dance thing yep. to open the ball, and then the band, the Weird Sisters, start playing a new song that's like got a much livelier beat. And uh, Pavati's like, oh, can't we stay and dance this one? And Harry's like, no, I don't like this song. He lies. <laughs> the line is, he lies to his date. He can't even, like, he's, he's don't so, do like, embarrassed and shady because he's eavesdropping on everyone that he can't even chill for two seconds to admit that, yeah, this song's dandy. Like, <laughs> he has to lie and get off the dance floor. So desperate to get off the dance floor. <laughs> Oh, I do feel so sorry for Harry and Ron. Like, they just did not want to be there. They didn't want to deal with this. They were 14-year-old boys. There's too yeah. much pressure. But also, girls, be nice to girls. Yeah. Treat them well. Teenage girls have a rough time. Yeah, so basically, just be a good person. Like, I'd just dance with them. Maybe we go and walk out in the rose bushes. Don't try and make out in them because we're 14 years old and Snape's walking around being a creepy yeah. fuck. Looking for teenagers in the yikes! But like at the dance, I would just be like, you know, real like, oh, hey, you want a drink? Yeah, whatever you want. Want to sit down for a bit? Want to just talk? Want to just dance? Whatever, and like have just a great night with them. And then like Mm -hmm. because yeah, we're fourteen. At the end of the night, give them a quick peck on the cheek and go to bed. You know, say I had a great time. (laughs) That's just what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So the only other thing that I want to mention is completely off topic, and I probably should have brought it up earlier, (laughs) but I saved it till the end of the episode. So we've talked a lot about like Australian high schools and our formals and all that sort of stuff. Uh, As another little fun fact, my university, the one that I've just graduated from, you should all congratulate me. Yay, congratulations. (laughs) We had a Harry Potter club. (laughs) Not you, you've congratulated me at perfect. Person, I'm talking to the listeners. Tweet me and say you're proud. Just finished my master's Woo. degree. Shamelessly <laughs> plugging myself. My university has a har- had a Harry Potter club, and once a year they used to combine with the Harry Potter clubs at two other big universities in Melbourne and okay. throw a Yule ball. It was amazing. Tickets were very hard to get because they sold out so quickly. I only actually managed yeah. to go once. And it was just such a great night. Everyone was in costume. The whole place was decorated. 
Um, more like regular Hogwarts than like a specific Christmas Yule Ball themed Hogwarts because it didn't happen around Christmas. It just happened in the middle of the year yeah. when there were no exams. Oh, it was so much fun. There was a dance-off between the four houses. It was really good. That's all. Just that's a fun event. And if you ever get a chance to go to something similar like that or organize something like that at your school or university, do it because it was yeah. so good. I will say... The only thing I think that detracted from how the Yule Ball was described in the books and how it was shown in the movies is that there wasn't an after party. Because <laughs> as we know, that's where the real party Definitely. happens. After party in the room of requirement. Get fucked. Like, <laughs> that's what I would yes. do. You know that the yeah. older kids were. Like, Harry, Ron, and Hermione went to children. bed. But there's no mention of the older students going back to bed because... We would notice because Ron and Hermione are having this massive row in the common room and nobody else is there. <laughs> like, all the 15, 16 year olds are off Ron and Hermione else. are like, how do you know what's good for me? That's my opinion! <laughs> Basically. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, all the seventh years are getting drunk as fuck in the room. Yeah, that's what I would be doing. <laughs> Alright, listeners, well... That's it for us for this year. This, that's a wrap on 2018. Oh man, it's finally a year. Uh, look out for some new surprises next year. Sorry, I, I was going to say what it was, but then it wouldn't be a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back on the 1st of January with our annual <laughs> Potter Predictions episode with a very special guest star from another Harry Potter podcast. I have been Jem. Your willing to date Padma, but not Pavati host. I have been Rhea. You're willing to date literally any girl from the Harry Potter series. I'm so lonely. I need a girlfriend. Especially if that girl's a horse girl. <laughs> Shut up. Happy holidays, listeners. <laughs> Merry Christmas. We love you. Thanks for listening to Podcast 9 and 3 Quarters. This show is written and edited by Rhea and Jem. You can send us an email at 9 3 quarters podcast at gmail.com Find us on Tumblr at podcast93quarters.tumblr.com or talk to us separately on Twitter. Rhea is at SmashMathRhea and me, Jem, is at Jem underscore just Jem. Please feel free to send us theories or ask us questions and bombard us with so many messages that we go mad and run away to a hut on the rock in the middle of the sea just to avoid them. Our logo art is by Winged Corgi. Find more of her art at wingedcorgi.tumblr.com. This week's intro music was Potter Waltz by Patrick Doyle. And our outro music was Hedwig's theme by John Williams. You hear from us again on New Year's Day. Happy holidays, listeners. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.